0: Welcome. Another episode of Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. First, I want to thank my sponsors, Beckett Media, ComC, that's cmc.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Tops, Upper Deck, Panini. Great sponsors. If you, well, let's let's get into the episode. This is another episode about kind of uh, investing, uh, card investing, maybe not fallacies. I I may title it fallacies, but it's I'm going to talk about supply and demand, and I'm going to try to make the case to you that uh, demand is more important than supply in this industry. Uh, if you have, well, and, and a couple of examples would be the Hannes Wagner card. The Hannes Wagner card is valuable. Again, the supply is low. I'm not denying that, whether it's 50, 60, 75 uh, Wagners out there, but it is not the rarest card, but it's the most valuable because of the demand. And then at the other end of the spectrum, the 89 Upper Deck Griffey, uh, that <laughs> the supply of that card is, it's not infinite, but it's a huge number of those cards are out there. And basically, in spite of that, it goes for, uh, it, 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 it sells well. There's a lot of activity on that card, even though it is, was hugely produced and rumored to be even more produced than, than has been admitted. Uh, so I'm saying demand is more important than supply. So again, looking at this, uh, two by two kind of a approach of supply and demand and high and low, if you have low supply and high demand, that's 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 the Wagner. Well, that's a recipe for uh, increasing prices, uh, all things being equal. Uh, on the other hand, if you had high supply but still high demand, as I said, demand to me being the more important of the of supply and demand, those cards still sell. If there's a lot of demand, even if there's a lot of supply, uh, the card will still sell. Again, that's example of eighty nine per deck, uh, uh, Griffey rookie. Uh, low supply and low demand. That is I do some of that, and that's basically uh, the the required quality if you have that approach is patience because anything with low demand is not going to sell quickly. In fact, when demand is low, you can't even lower the price uh, to increase demand usually it's just it they don't care about the low supply they're just low demand so and by patience, I'm talking about ten years of patience not. 10 months or 10 weeks or, um, you know, but a lot of patience uh, because there's still some demand. It's just, it's just low. And then the next one is high supply and low demand. And those are sometimes the monster boxes that go for five bucks where you're talking about a 10th of a cent a card sometimes, which I have sold. I've sold monster boxes for five bucks and they were commons, but they still, I mean, I think the person got uh, a good deal, but you know, it's, I, I wasn't going to wait. Uh, again, cards with a lot of supply and very little demand. I wasn't. That's kind of like a hundred-year patience. Uh, and again, some of those guys may have emerged. But you know, everything has a price. In fact, everything can have more than uh, one price. But on the on the high supply cards that are common players and base cards, uh, shipping can be prohibitive. You you could. It's hard to even sell the cards for free. If shipping is going to be more than what they're worth, so I guess you could bring it to a show, but then you know if that that'd be like having a workout, or take it to somebody, but the postage would just kill you. On the other hand, uh, just like when I talked about the uh, the uh, buy low and sell high, there's there's an opportunity loss for holding on to cards that are not selling and getting something out of them. You know sometimes there's a storage costs. But there's an opportunity loss and cost for, for holding on to things that aren't, that aren't selling. So if, uh, just clearing them out would make sense. On the other hand, I have stories where I've cleared out what I thought were low demand cards. And a few years later, I wish I had them back. In fact, I, I have a, yes, that's happened to me. And I'm supposed to be, uh, an expert. Um, high demand cards, regardless of the supply, if they're high demand, that you have bragging rights. Low supply cards, you have some level of bragging rights for that, that you have the, the only one or the best one of something that is not, doesn't have to have a lot of value, but it's, it could be an unusual situation uh, with low supply or an unusual situation with high demand. You know Your, your friends are not going to care how many others there are. If it's a high demand card, then that's appreciated for that. Uh, these rules are a little bit different according to whether or not you're dealing with very high dollar cards or low dollar cards. This industry is maybe not peculiar, but uh, in many well, I th- I think you could make a case that the higher the dollar uh, is is greater liquidity. You know, it's easier to sell a high dollar card, and you probably can get a higher percentage of the perceived uh, selling value, uh, especially if it's if it's a high demand card. Whereas you, if if you have a high supply card, and you want to sell it. Uh, the good thing about it, if there's a lot of them out there, the value will be well-defined in terms of the market will know. It's kind of like the Griffey uh, Upper Deck Rookie, uh, even though there's a lot of supply, that just means there's a lot of action. And so people know what it sells for. Whereas you know, these low supply and low demand cards, it's hard to know because the sales are less frequent and they're not even out there that much. Uh, another consideration in terms of supply and demand are, would be uh, 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 group uh, versus single kinds of uh, transactions. If you had a group of low supply cards, would that be more or less appealing? Now, if you had a group of high su- uh, of of, uh, of high demand cards. Well I don't if you had a group of high demand cards I, I think you'd want to sell them one at a time if you're the seller. If you're buying, I think you'd always want to buy a group as long as the group you're buying things that you wanted or most of the stuff in the group is what you wanted. Um supply and demand again are not are not static because the supply of something can can uh, be perceived at one level and can uh, increase or decrease depending on uh, on uh, releases and collecting interests. And uh, as well as demand, demand can pick up or drop off if somebody retires or gets injured. And so, again, the patience of whether you need a fast sale or a slow sale, it's, it matters. Uh, Complete sets, near complete sets, you know, there ought to be a discount there, uh, but perhaps it's less so for sets where there's not a demand, not just for the cards, but a demand for the sets. Now, when there's a set registry and the cards are graded, that could actually increase the demand. And then when you're talking about supply, you're really talking about, uh, the supply of graded cards, most likely in the holder or your preferred grader. I'm, uh, yeah, I I think when, uh, when some of the stuff that was going on with the Stock X and uh, Gary V and this comparison of, of sneakers, um, again, that's that's not. Uh, I mean, there's some applicability there, but it's again, when supply and demand are in equilibrium, or there's more demand than the supply, you would think prices are going to go up. But it's not. It's 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 not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. I had some 8687 FLIR basketball. I'll tell you more about that in a, in a future episode. But basically, let's just say I wasn't patient. Of course, anybody that sold, uh, you know, in the eighties or in the nineties was not patient, but I certainly was not patient because I actually perceived the supply to be high because they were not hard in those days to, to get 8687 FLIR basketball. So I perceived that. And so, so supply and demand are based on perception. And are very fluid in terms of of the. I mean, Michael Jordan was still great back in the day, but there was a perception that there were more of those uh, to go around than what was uh, what was going to get going to get eaten up by collectors. And especially in the eighties, again, I I was pretty close to it, and I made that mistake. But you know, I knew about the Star Company basketball, which there's some question about what's Michael Jordan's true rookie card. And whether the star company, uh, 8485, uh, would be a, like an XRC, an extended rookie. Uh, but again, some confusion there. And there certainly were plenty of 8687 FLIR. And as you've seen now from the auction houses, there, there, there's even still some that's, that's unopened. There's still, they still find boxes and cases. And, uh, that's, that seems crazy, but it just points out that supply and demand are, are perceived. It's not just how many were produced. It's how many are still around, how many are around in good condition, how many are in the float, not in somebody's collection, not to be ever sold or not in, in, in any, uh, time frame that makes sense to be sold. And so if you have to have a card, uh, and, 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 y- and your personal demand is very high and you use your dollars to chase, uh, a low supply card or even, a, well, especially a low supply card, uh, you're, you, you may, you may, um, you may get really get bit up. And again, not a bad thing if you put a high value on the bragging rights of owning that card, which after all, this is a, at least as much a hobby as it is an industry and being able to uh, tell your friends about your collection is, is, uh, is, uh, is worth a lot. It's worth something to me. I'm sure it's worth something to you. Uh, again, when I first got into it, there was no such thing as bragging rights. It was the opposite in the, in the seventies. Uh, it was people did not want other people to know, uh, or at least to be widely known what what the person had. So they were very quiet about what they had and they'd go to shows. But then when they went to the shows, again, this back in the seventies, you'd look at the guy's table and then you might see his want list sometime, but you'd realize everything at his table, which was great stuff that would be extremely valuable now and was still valuable. Then those are his duplicates. Those were his extras. And so there were some terrific collections. And as prices have gone up more and more, of those collections have funneled back into the float of, uh, and and great because if there weren't if there wasn't enough activity of buying and selling uh the dynamism of this uh, industry and how things have done so well in the last few years uh it wouldn't be possible if people were not actively buying and selling if everybody only wants to buy and nobody wants to sell um again you need some buyers and some sellers and there's been a healthy balance of that so anyway the investing fallacy that i'm trying to point out is that don't look at supply and demand in a static sense That even with big supply there's money to be made if demand is even bigger and if supply is very small that sounds good until you realize the demand may be even lower than the supply where there's more cards than what the number of people that want them so Again, as I've said before, it's caveat emptor. There are no sure things. Uh, we, we we worked super hard on price guides, doing uh, monthly price guides and annual price guides, and the reward for a job well done each month was the chance to do it all over again the next month or and an annual price guide. If we nailed it and everybody said, ah, oh, that was perfect, well, the next year you just got to jump out there and do it again. So again, no sure things, but enjoy your hobby. After all, it's pretty cool to have a hobby that we can enjoy and uh, many people can make money doing it. So thanks again. Talk to you tomorrow. Uh, best to you and your collecting.